Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Thursday, January 23rd, 2020. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman, with a summary of election news. Today, three of the top five Democratic candidates are stuck in D.C., while the other two campaign in Iowa. A fresh New Hampshire poll puts Bernie Sanders well ahead of the pack. Hillary Clinton clarifies she'll support any nominee. Social Security and Medicare come under attack, and Sanders and Biden defend their records on these programs. Elizabeth Warren calls on Mike Bloomberg to divest himself of his namesake news organization, an update on the impeachment, and a couple of corrections. It is 11 days until the Iowa caucuses and 284 days until the general election. And here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. With three of the five leading presidential candidates cloistered in the Senate in the District of Columbia, the campaign trail is surprisingly quiet this close to the Iowa caucuses. There has got to be some schadenfreude going on among the GOP that even if the president, who they defend so tirelessly, is facing a trial over impeachment articles right now, they know the Democrats aren't able to receive valuable broadcast coverage. Former Vice President and Senator Joe Biden will clinch the nomination. Biden scores at or near the highest percentage advantage in polls that ask voters if they would vote for one nominee versus President Donald Trump. The New York Times reports from the ground in Iowa, where campaign organizers and surrogates have had to fill in for Senators Amy Klobuchar, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren. Senator Michael Bennett, polling below 1%, also remains in the race and stuck in D.C. The Times wrote, among those on deck are Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York for Mr. Sanders, former Secretary Julian Castro, his twin brother, Representative Joaquin Castro of Texas, and the actress and activist Ashley Judd for Ms. Warren, and Phil Drobnik, a Minnesotan who coached the Olympic gold medal winning men's curling team in 2018 for Ms. Klobuchar, end quote. One voter told the Times something very considerate. Pam Rose said, quote, their job is important. It's not fair to ask if Joe has an advantage if he's not in Washington. Hey, let's do a poll. WBUR, a radio station in New Hampshire, talked to 426 likely Democratic voters in that state and found Sanders is far ahead in their data released this morning. 29% of those surveyed said they would cast a ballot for Sanders, 17% for Buttigieg, 14% for Biden, and 13% for Warren. The margin of error is plus or minus 4.8%, so Sanders' lead is pretty securely ahead. Klobuchar is still in there with 6%, and Yang and Gabbard at 5%. This is a huge swing from December, when the rundown was Buttigieg with 18%, Biden at 17%, Sanders at 15%, and Warren at 12%. Sanders picked up support not so much from other candidates, but from the would-not-vote-and-don't-know-or-refuse-to-answer categories. In December, 3% of those surveyed said they wouldn't vote. That's below 1% in today's result. Also in December, 12% offered no candidate's name, and that is down to 5% now. That explains most of the pickup. Biden was the seemingly biggest loser, 3% between the two polls, but that's within the margin of error. The poll found Sanders also captured 52% of Democratic voters under the age of 30. Also, a sort of side note, Marianne Williamson, the best-selling author and speaker who ended her candidacy recently, has thrown her support behind entrepreneur Andrew Yang. As I noted on yesterday's podcast, Yang needs just slightly better than current polling between now and the deadline on February 6th to meet thresholds to be part of the 8th Democratic National Committee's candidates debate. 
Williamson noted it wasn't an endorsement, but, quote, hopefully to help him get past the early primaries and remind us not to take ourselves too seriously. A tiny bit of follow-up from the other day when former Senator and Secretary of State and 2016 popular vote winner for the presidency Hillary Clinton was interviewed by The Hollywood Reporter about an upcoming four-part Hulu series about her. Clinton gave an answer about whether she would support Sanders in a way that led some people to interpret it as no. If you recall, I said that her actual words were that it's too early, meaning she wasn't choosing yet to make a statement that appeared as an endorsement. She clarified this in a tweet, quote, I thought everyone wanted my authentic, unvarnished views. But to be serious, the number one priority for our country and world is retiring Trump. And as I always have, I will do whatever I can to support our nominee, end quote. Look, you don't have to love Clinton as a person or candidate or retired politician. There are a lot of aspects about her career and her views that produce polarizing opinions and discussions. That's all fine, but I would point out that every single thing she says is parsed often beyond recognition, just as it has been since she was criticized for saying, quote, I suppose I could have stayed home and baked cookies, end quote, during the 1992 presidential race that her husband, Bill Clinton, won over an incumbent war president, George H.W. Bush. We should listen to her words, and she has a lot of interesting things to say, but we're about to cross 30 years or even longer if you count her husband's time as governor of Arkansas, in which nothing she says can be interpreted in good faith. Now that said, she did say Bernie was unliked in the Senate. She did accuse Jill Stein of being a Russian asset, but she said that bluntly and clearly, and it requires no interpretation or spinning. I guess we're going to litigate Clinton until the end of time, just as Trump is still campaigning against both her and somehow against Barack Obama, who he never ran against, even though he won three and a half years ago. Twenty twenty. A new year. It's the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. But finding qualified candidates can be challenging. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there with their powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes and finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlighting the top candidates so you never miss a great match. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. I did not expect Social Security and Medicare to become campaign issues this late in the game and in the way they are shaping out to be. They are typically the third rail of politics. Bringing them up is sure to kill you, not to improve your numbers 
or help you with any policy positions. The two programs are widely popular and successful by all measures. Most people have more concerns about the programs no longer existing than they do complaints about how they are run. Research in 2018 found that Social Security had the effect of reducing poverty among seniors from 66% to 16%. The report found nearly the entire decline in the poverty rate among the elderly since the 1960s is due to Social Security. It also had a substantial effect among households with people with disabilities. A 2013 survey found 72% of respondents had a very favorable or somewhat favorable opinion of Medicare. 36% said very favorable. Just 19% said somewhat or very unfavorable. The Pew Research Center conducted a poll in late 2018 that showed 74% of all adults said no reductions should be made in Social Security. Gallup has surveyed people for many years about Social Security and, in its March 2019 polling, found that 77% of adults surveyed said they worried a great deal, 41%, or a fair amount, 26%, about the Social Security system. 51% surveyed in 2015 don't think they will receive a benefit when they retire. That's down from a whopping 60% in 2010 and up from 42% in 1991. I personally think I'm going to get about between 60 and 75% of promised benefits when I retire based on current predictions of when insolvency hits, at which point the administration has to pay out less than it should. Social security is particularly critical for many Americans as over 90% of people 65 or over receive payments. Those payments represent 90% or more of the income for over 20% of married couples and 44% of people who are unmarried. For reference, the average monthly check is $1,400. Nevertheless, wading into an area in which Americans feel great uncertainty and insecurity for programs that they favor and rely on, President Trump said in an interview in Davos, Switzerland, where he's attending the World Economic Forum, that he'd consider cuts to entitlements and indicated Medicare was one of those he would consider. Listeners, before you tell me these programs aren't entitlements, I would point to the Social Security Administration, which says in effect that they are because workers are entitled to the benefits of paying into the program. Entitlements is a term used often with disgust by right-wing commentators and politicians to mean that people receiving them don't deserve them. That's a whole other can of worms about whether people deserve to eat, have shelter, and receive medical care. And a reminder that Medicare funds health care insurance for seniors and people with disabilities and is funded from employment taxes. Medicaid is a largely federally funded program that assists low-income individuals and families and is run by the states. Okay, back to our main point of discussion. The Trump administration has attempted to cut safety net programs of all kinds. This includes a $1.9 trillion drop in Medicare and Medicaid in a proposed budget. Congress typically produces an entirely different budget than the Trump White House, which ignores these deep cuts and which often affect the reddest areas of the reddest states most severely. This could become a campaign issue because Trump said when he ran for president initially, quote, save Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security without cuts, have to do it, get rid of the fraud, get rid of the waste and abuse, but save it, end quote. Democrats love getting sound bites of Trump threatening cuts to use in radio and TV ads as a way to motivate voters in demographic segments who would otherwise tend centrist or right in their voting, but would fight to preserve the benefits they currently receive. Meanwhile, Sanders and Biden and their supporters have been trading fighting words about when and whether each candidate supported cuts or changes to Social Security and Medicare. The Sanders campaign noted in a newsletter earlier in the month that Biden praised former House Speaker Paul Ryan for a proposal to make cuts to Social Security and Medicare in 2018. Biden's campaign countered that Biden was, in fact, mocking Ryan, which PolitiFact agreed with. 
So Biden's word in his speech to the Brookings Institution in 2018 were, quote, we need a pro-growth progressive tax code that treats workers as job creators as well, not just investors. That gets rid of unprotective loopholes like stepped-up basis, and it raises enough revenue to make sure that the Social Security and Medicare can stay. It still needs adjustments, but can stay and pay for the things we all acknowledge will grow the country. End quote. Then the Biden campaign highlighted remarks from Sanders from a 1996 re-election campaign speech in which he said that Social Security had, quote, been adjusted before and adjustments will have to be made again, end quote. Sanders told the Burlington Free Press that year, quote, Congress will need to adjust revenues and benefits to keep it financially sound, end quote. Adjustments has become a code word for cuts, and Sanders' current campaign says that he was unaware of the coded meaning back then. And yet Biden just used it in 2018. Bloomberg News reported that, quote, Sanders' record shows he supported increasing funding for Social Security and opposed benefit cuts throughout his political career. In 1995, he warned that the balanced budget amendment, which Biden supported, would lead to, quote, the destruction of Social Security system as we know it, and embedded, quote, he also introduced and sponsored legislation throughout the 1990s to protect and increase American Social Security checks. And that's the end of the Bloomberg News quote. Biden's record is a lot more mixed. He's called for freezes on automatic cost of living increases at various times over four decades, including in 1984 and 1995, as well as putting changes to eligibility on the table, like raising the age at which you can begin to claim Social Security benefits. As the week notes, quote, Biden and company often frame these cuts as protecting the programs because making them less generous would make them more sound in an accounting sense, end quote. Both Biden and Sanders are currently campaigning on fixing Social Security, shoring up contributions to prevent it from reaching insolvency. Biden wants to lift an income cap that currently only collects Social Security and Medicare taxes up to $137,700 in income each year. Biden has said this would expand the retirement program. Sanders wants to expand benefits, such as increasing minimum benefits for low-income workers when they retire. Currently, retirees receive benefits based in part on lifetime earnings. Sanders proposes a donut hole, so the tax between the current cap of around $140,000 and $250,000 isn't collected, but would apply at that rate and above while also adding a tax on investment income above $200,000 for individuals or $250,000 for couples. Each of these measures would push Social Security's insolvency date back by a few to several decades, depending on whether new benefits or additional benefits were added. Hey, so I quoted Bloomberg News in the last story, which had a disclaimer at the bottom of the article. Michael Bloomberg is also seeking the Democratic presidential nomination. He is the founder and majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg News. And disclaimer, you may be saying to yourself, didn't Bloomberg say he wasn't going to cover his and other candidates' runs? Not exactly. Back in November, John Micklethwaite, the editor-in-chief of Bloomberg Editorial and Research, sent out a memo that read, in part, we will describe who is winning and who is losing. We will look at policies and their consequences. We will carry polls. We will interview candidates and we will track their campaigns, including Mike's. We have already assigned a reporter to follow his campaign, just as we did when Mike was in City Hall. And in the stories we write on the presidential contest, we will make clear that our owner is now a candidate, end quote. However, the news organization won't carry out in-depth investigations of Bloomberg or other candidates. Yesterday, Warren called BS, that stands for Bloomberg, stop on this. She tweeted that Bloomberg should divest his news division. 
Quote, if Michael Bloomberg wants to be the Democratic nominee, he should let reporters do their jobs and report on him and everyone else as they see fit. And he should divest from Bloomberg News so there's no question about his influence over news coverage of presidential candidates. End quote. Ironically, I found this story at Bloomberg News. It is day two of the impeachment trial, which may last about seven more sessions or four or for weeks. We don't know. Nobody can say. More reports are coming out that GOP moderates are pushing hard enough for calling witnesses after the multi-day opening statements by House impeachment managers and the president's counsel that we may actually see more evidence and experience a much longer trial phase. Otherwise, there's not much to update you on today because you've already heard all the evidence and arguments in the House hearings that produced the articles of impeachment. The only key issue to arise in the last 24 hours is that there's been discussion among various parties as to whether Republicans would allow subpoenas for several key witnesses that the House impeachment managers want in exchange for also summoning Hunter Biden and other figures that are at the center of an evidence-free conspiracy theory. That conspiracy theory, in fact, is, as I've said before, according to the articles of impeachment, what led Trump to withhold critical funds from Ukraine unless it opened a fake investigation into the Bidens. The president's unpaid private counsel, Rudy Giuliani, former mayor of New York and now a cybersecurity consultant who butt dials people and can't unlock his iPhone, said on Twitter without evidence this morning that he would be releasing, quote, real evidence and, quote, revealing Obama administration corruption. He has promised the so-called evidence for months. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer said this morning there's no deal in the works for witness trading. Trump noted later on Twitter, and I cannot convey all the punctuation marks involved, quote, the Democrats don't want to witness trade because shifty shift the Bidens, the fake whistleblower and his lawyer, the second whistleblower who vanished after I released the transcripts, the so-called, quote, informer, quote, and many other Democratic disasters would be a big problem for them. End tweet. Okay, he's taking it all very seriously. Meanwhile, Biden said on the campaign trail in response to a question from someone at a town hall, he would refuse to be part of any witness trade deal. Quote, the reason why I would not make this deal, the bottom line is this is a constitutional issue and we're not going to turn it into a farce, into some kind of political theater. In the department, in the deportment of corrections, uh, excuse me, that's the Department of Corrections. Listeners have let me know about two uncorrected errors I have made in recent weeks. First, I said that Andrew Yang and Deval Patrick were the last candidates in the Democratic primary race who were people of color. That is incorrect. Tulsi Gabbard, a House representative from Hawaii, who I've mentioned a few times in recent podcasts, including today, is also a woman of color. She and Patrick are polling at low and extremely low levels, but they're sticking with their campaigns. Second, the aforementioned Patrick's first name is Deval, not as I have been saying it. I have heard his name spoken aloud plenty of times, and I apologize for not remembering the correct way to say it. Keep me honest, folks. Thanks for your feedback. Keep it coming. And that's the election roundup for today. I am your host, Glenn Fleischman. You can find this podcast and respond to us on Twitter at Election Podcast or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Election Ride Home, all one word. I am also found on Twitter at Glenn F, that's G-L-E-N-N-F like Frank. If you like printing history, just like I do, you should check out my Tiny Type Museum project at TinyTypeMuseum.com. It is a small collection of actual historic and modern type artifacts. I have been having a blast putting this together for people. I will be out tomorrow, that is Friday, January 24th, but then back on Monday as we get closer to Iowa. Thanks for listening. 
Have a good night.